Pennsylvania is known as the Keystone State, and I always like to think that everything that happens nationally kind of we're the model for. I mean, even if you look at how the national government was formed with a House and a Senate and a chief executive, you know, we, we were first of the party in how we govern. And when you have a state that I've heard it called, you know, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh with Kentucky in the middle, we are a diverse state in every way. To try and govern a state such as that, that's diverse in its geography, diverse in its ideology. In order to be able to do that, you have to be able to build relationships with those in the administration, with those in the Senate, with those in another party, and use those relationships to build trust so that there is at least a little bit of trust at the table to know that everything we're working for is, is really in the best interest of our constituents. And if you can get some of those things done, you can be a model. You can be a model on pension reform. You can be a model on uh, even the things that I disagree on. You know, I, was a, I was a no vote on medical marijuana. I believed uh, that it was it was wrong on many levels to try and institute that while the federal government was still fighting over it. But look, other states look to how we do it. Our Abortion Control Act, one of the reasons why Pennsylvania doesn't have to do anything, quote unquote, when Roe was overturned, is because we already have an Abortion Control Act in place that's been in place since Governor Casey, who's a pro-life Democrat. And so Pennsylvania is actually in a pretty good position to not have to react and wait and see how the dust settles a little bit, as opposed to just coming out of the gates and having to change things, because we, we had a measured act in place. And so we have to govern differently. We have to legislate differently in a state like Pennsylvania. And all the national eyes start to turn towards us. By the way, did you know about the budget process? Welcome back to By the Way, Did You Know? And this week, we're going to take a little bit different approach since we're in the heat of budget season. And when we talk about the budget, a lot of folks, it has to happen before the end of June, but there's a lot more that goes into the budget than just one bill. And with me today, I thought it'd be appropriate to have uh, a podcast favorite around here who can bring some legitimacy to, to by the way, did you know, and uh, who also happens to be the deputy chair of the Appropriations Committee. So what better person than Representative Jesse Topper to join us today? It's great to be here, Torin. Thank you so much. Uh, I just, I hope you're prepared for the influx of attention you're about to receive by having me on the podcast. Uh, your listenership will will soar. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the retirement community at Homewood at Springhouse Estates will now become uh, big fans, you know, thanks to Ruth Topper from Bedford, who, by the way, is, I think, becoming more popular in airtime-wise than, than even I am. But, uh, yeah, look, this is this is a great time to do it, especially since we are literally a couple of days away from the deadline and don't have a budget passed yet. So uh, we're definitely, this is this is very time appropriate. Yeah, so the, the budget is kind of a complex process. It doesn't, it kind of starts in February when the governor gives his budget address, and that kind of lays the framework where the governor wants to head with the budget. Then we have appropriation hearings, and then when we get to June is really when we start ironing out some of the details. But, uh, Representative Topper, kind of, can you just explain to, to, to those that might not understand, like, what happens in June as it pertains to the budget? So the budget is is going to be somewhere around you know forty billion dollar and it's it's a spending plan and it's a revenue plan. So how do you spend those dollars? Let's say it's forty billion at forty two thirty eight a billion here a billion there. That's when you know you've been doing this for a while when a billion dollars doesn't seem like a lot of money. But how do how do you push those dollars out? So I think the number one thing people have to understand is it's not just the budget bill. Well, you're going to get this much and you're going to spend this much. How those dollars get spent? What 
government silos they go through, whether it's the Department of Human Services or whether it's the Department of Education, whether it's the you know Department of Health, how those dollars go through. Those are, we have a lot of bills that go along with our general appropriations bill, which are called code bills, the administrative code, the education code. And inside all of those codes are also a lot of policy initiatives that we've been working on for quite some time. So it's not just about the dollars, but it's also about the policy. Give a great example. A couple years ago when we passed the end of last in first out, which was a teacher seniority, a teacher tenure bill, that we passed that bill through the House, through the Senate. The governor said no, but then when it came time to the budget, we actually were able to get it in one of the code bills that the governor signed because that was part of the negotiation. So it's not just about the dollars we spend, but what policy initiatives are we going to receive in exchange for those dollars? Because that's negotiation, right? That's negotiation 101. The governor has a list of things that he wants. The House Republicans have a list of things they want. The Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats and House Democrats, everybody comes to the table with a list. Some of those are financial. Some of those are policy-related. Some of those are how the dollars get allocated and funding formulas. So all of that goes into this pot when trying to send your leaders in to, to negotiate this budget, and that's why it's so complex. You know, every we have to have a balanced budget, constitutionally required, but it's not just a simple saying, well, you're going to receive in revenue $42 billion. We're going to figure out how to spend $41 billion and put a billion away in rainy day. That sounds, that sounds great. That's not really how it goes, though. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces. And right now, some of those pieces are, uh, are not moving so well. Yeah, and look, this is also, as one of our most important rules as a legislator, is to pass a budget. And as part of that, the one way we put, I guess, roadblocks or at least oversight on some of these bills is some of these regulations so that the Department of Human Services, which gets I, you know, a third well of our over budget. A third of our yeah, budget. a third yeah. of our budget doesn't just get a blank check to do whatever they want to do with. That's where some of these code bills come in to say, this is how this money needs to be spent. And again, it's all part of negotiation. We we don't live in Alabama, we live in California, where it's a, you know everybody's moving the same direction. We live in a state with divided government, so it's not as easy to say, well, the House Republicans think this should be the budget, these should be all the policy initiatives, and this is how the money should be spent, because at that table, you also have the administration and you have the Senate. And that's why these negotiations are just that. There's going to be parts of these code bills and these budgets that Tornecker or Jesse Topper doesn't like. So what we have to decide is, is it enough? Does it move the ball in the right direction enough that we can vote for it? Or is it so bad that we can say, no, I'm sorry, this goes this goes too far in a different direction. We're going to be a no. That's what each individual rank and file, file member has to determine when they vote on it. There's going to be stuff in there we like. There's going to be things that we don't like. What, what, how do you weigh the balance of, as you said, the most important thing we do is passing a budget because of all that comes, comes with it. And do we vote yes? Do we vote no? Based, is based on is there enough good in there that we feel on our side that, that, that we can move this ball forward or is there, is there not? And uh, everybody has to come to that decision on their own, but we, we send, each caucus sends members of their leadership in to negotiate with the governor. And when it's divided government, those negotiations can get a little, little rough. And look, I was here uh, back during Wolf's first term where we had the, the very first year that budget was prolonged. We didn't get a, a, even a partial budget until Christmas Eve that year. And, you know, back in the Rendell years, we know about the state employees not getting paid for months. And so there are consequences that come with not passing a budget on time. Yeah, and, and I've been fortunate in the, the four years I've been here to, to pass a budget on time. I guess this year we'll find out whether or not that's going to be a reality or not. But, 
you kind of alluded to it. So what is it like when there's not divided government? You've been, I, I believe you served here whenever there was uh, a Republican governor. What was, what was that experience like? Much different. I mean, the, the, the minority party, which at the time was Democrats, this was Governor Corbett's last year, is, is pretty much relegated to making noise. But you, you certainly have, from a majority party standpoint, a smoother process. Although it's never smooth, smooth, because there, there's only so much money to go around. And I don't care if you have a Republican governor or if you have a Republican you know, or Democrat in there. Everybody wants their, particularly po- their particular policy initiative to go through. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Even with Governor Corbett and a Republican-controlled legislature, we wanted pension reform to be a part of that budget. We made it, uh, uh, Leader Terzai made that an absolute request, and it didn't get done. We didn't get pension reform done until Governor Wolf came into office. And, uh, and so that just goes to show that even sometimes with non-divided government, you still have issues trying to get these policy initiatives passed. Uh, it can still be very difficult. So, again, it's all about negotiation. It's all about trying to make sure you get the best product you can. In our case, as House Republicans, we're, we're making sure that you know, our focus has been don't spend it all, right? Don't right. just take this big pot of one-time money and spend it all. Let's put some back until we get an idea of where this economy is going, because I think we all understand this isn't sustainable. So that's one of the things that I'll look at when it comes time to vote on a budget. Have we done enough to make this sustainable moving forward, or are we creating a bubble that in two years is going to burst and we're going to be here, you know, looking at, at very, very bad options? Yeah, and you and I share the same view on that. And, and look, we can always find something in a budget that we don't like to vote no. I mean, there's a lot in these things. But I, I, to, to your point, Jesse, is, is, is the overall product where we want to head as a state? And that's not governing. You know, the idea of looking for reasons to right. kind of blow the whole thing up is not governing. It might feel good. It might it might increase a member's brand if they can go out on Facebook and say, you know, I've stopped X. I, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm looking for ways that we can all get to yes. And right. if you don't look at it that way, then look, you I've I had no members that voted no on every budget that they were in Harrisburg, yeah. everyone. And that's, look, I mean, if they, they are that convinced that everything we do is that wrong, then okay. That's not how I function. I'm trying to figure out a way to get this done in, in a manner that's responsible. And if I'm a no vote, and they have to go to people who want to spend more money to get yes votes, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to spend more money. Yeah. It's just that simple. So that's not, I don't know that that's being a responsible fiscal steward as well. Uh, but it's about governing. And look, we are the majority party, even though the, there's a Democratic administration. We're the majority party. We have to figure out a way to govern. So wrapping up here, so we got, so we've talked about the budget bill, we've talked about the code bills on how we spend that money and how it's allocated. But with the budget, we also have a lot of these ancillary bills that deal with the uh, non-preferreds, the PUC. Can you explain that process a little bit? Sure. The non-preferreds, which require two-thirds vote, is how we fund tuition reimbursements for Pitt, Penn State, Lincoln Temple, Penn Vet. Obviously, those have got a lot of attention this year because of some of the stuff going on with the University of Pittsburgh, and we can, you know, I'm sure we're going to have a very robust debate about that. Um, obviously, you're, the budget is never immune to what's going on nationally, right? And all of a sudden, uh, people are going to talk about Roe v. Wade and do do bills relating to abortion find their way into the debate on policy when it comes to the budget, and and then you have members who 
of the House and Senate who want their bills done, maybe a, an issue they've been working on for a while regarding environmental regulations or, or what have you, and they're like, look, if I'm going to vote for this budget, then I need this policy initiative, and that becomes a trade list you know, that goes back and forth with bills. All of those things are into this crazy time of year yeah. uh, as it relates to the budget because that's what applies pressure. It's, it's, it's one of two times, this and the end of session, that you work against a deadline. Everything else you can always push off till the next week. But but the budget and the end of the session are the only two times when you're backed up by a deadline. And, and that's when members start to say, well, look, I, I think we need to get this done. Um, and it might have nothing to do with the budget. But everything has to do with the budget because of the deadline. Yeah, and we've talked about that on the podcast before here where, you know, as we head into June, it's a wedge time of year where, where things actually do get sent to the governor's desk and lots of bills get signed into law. So a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the previous podcast is the time of year to keep an eye on that because this might actually be when some of these laws do become uh, signed into law and, and, and do become laws of the state of Pennsylvania. That's right. Well, I want to thank Representative Topper for being here with us today. Uh, he has... Well, we'll call it his podcast, but I think Jason Gottesman and Neil Lesher are going to probably beat me up on this. But Generally Assembled is another great podcast by uh, the PA House Republicans that you should tune into. It's a lot of fun. I, I laugh at it every week, and it's a good group. I have been on, but uh, not as much as uh, Representative Topper. So, again, Jesse, thanks for, for being here and explaining the budget to, to us and to educate the listeners to how this all works in Harrisburg. This has been, by the way, Did You Know? Tune in for all of my podcasts at repecker.com slash my podcast.